Good morning. Good morning, Bright City. Hey, 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 how y'all doing? Good? Everybody good? Happy Sunday. It's okay if you're not good. That's all right. Good morning, good morning. Hey, I'm Jess, and I am so blessed to be one of the owners here at Bright City, and I'm so excited to be sharing from God's Word with you this morning. We are in the thick of this sermon series called, I'm going to wait for the graphic so I get it right. Oh, it might not be up there. Anybody remember? Pop quiz. There we go. The Beginner's Guide to a Full Life. The Beginner's Guide to a Full Life. We've been studying Philippians and we've been just picking up these things that we want to take with us to walk in fullness, to walk in abundance. So the first week we talked about having a persistent vision, how having a persistent vision enables us to have a full life. And that was an incredible message for so many of us. I know God, it gave me some vision and reminded me of some vision that he had already spoken over my life that encouraged me, that reminded me of what he's up to. Then last week, <coughs> excuse me, world's most convicting sermon ever, um, we talked about having a passion for people. And how bringing a passion for people along with us also enables us to have a full life, a persistent vision and a passion for people. And this week, we're going to add another thing to our packing list of what we need with us to have a full life. And it may not be what you expect, but we're going to be talking a little bit about courage and what it looks like to have courage and how that enables us also to have a full life. But... First, I want to tell you guys a story. I'm going to try not to qualify it too much before I jump into it. Um, about 10 or now almost 11 years ago, uh, Nick and I lived in Seattle, Washington, and we had a few just really good friends out there, and one particular set of friends that we had actually moved to Seattle with. So we had been lifelong friends with them. Nick had been friends with the wife of this couple, you know, since early middle school, and we had done ministry with them, and we had done early marriage with them, and we actually ended up all moving to Seattle at the same time for different reasons, but to be there and to grow in ministry and to do different things. And so while we were out there, we had two kids by this point, and they had not had any kids yet, and we, the wife and I both got pregnant at the same time. So I was getting pregnant with our third child, and they were getting pregnant with their first. Um, and their first ended up being twins. So my dear friend Kaylee and Sean, these are our friends Kaylee and Sean. So Kaylee and Sean are pregnant with twin boys, and I'm pregnant with our sweet little boy and our third baby. Um, and so we walked all through pregnancy together, and both of us were from the East Coast, living on the West Coast. So we just really relied on each other like family and did a lot of things together. Um, and near the end of both of our pregnancies, she was um, nearing the end of her pregnancy with the boys, with the twins, and I was nearing the end of my pregnancy with Benjamin, just a few weeks from having him. Um, we had this kind of other crazy thing happen in our family where Glory, our daughter, who at the time was just one, needed an eye surgery. So I'm like, oh, my sweet baby is having surgery on her eye, and I'm like super ginormous pregnant. And we have this other baby at home, Elias, our, our oldest was just two. And so Nick was like, listen, I'll stay at home with Elias and you go with Glory to have the surgery, but take Kaylee with you because you'll need some moral support. So um, she's, you know, massively pregnant with twins. She's like, I'll come sit at the hospital with you for a day. So just the two of us like waddle in there, pregnant with our babies and sit down and, and, and really just kind of lean on each other for this crazy day where Glory has this eye surgery. So Glory's getting the surgery, end of the story, she turns out great, everything's fine with her eye. But while Kaylee and I are in there, we start watching this show, The Doctors. Anybody ever watch The Doctors? Yes, okay, still on now, like 12 years later, but it was kind of a new show then, so we're watching daytime TV, The Doctors comes on. There's some story about a baby dying, which is too tender, right? I'm in the hospital, my baby's having surgery. Like, I'm, I'm just a mess. I'm super pregnant. I'm with my friend. She's super pregnant. We're hormonal freaks at this point. And so we're just crying and, like, trying to keep it together. I'm like, why are we watching this? And my baby's having surgery. This is crazy. She's like, I know we shouldn't be watching it. So we turn it off, and we start talking. And Kaylee and I both love God. We have really similar personalities. We both love God. We love the Word of God. We love people. We've been in ministry for a long time. And... We start asking the question, when babies die, where do they go? 
And at this point, I'm maybe like 22 or 23, and so I have this like deep feeling in my feeler that babies go to heaven, but I don't know why. And Kaylee's like, I, I'm with you. Like, I think if babies die, they go to heaven, but I don't know why. And I think at the time Kaylee was in seminary and I was not, I was in like um, uh, Real Housewives Seminary. I watched a lot of reality TV. Um, so we're just sitting and talking. And at, at some point, you know, I, I'm trying to pull it together. I'm trying to say real words because my baby's having surgery and I'm super pregnant and she's super pregnant. And I said, Kaylee, here's what I know. I know that I just know, like, of what I know about God, I think if something happened to one of our babies, they'd be with God. She was like, that's good to know. I went home that night. I took baby Glory home, and I told Nick about the conversation. I said, here's what I know about Kaylee. She's not leaving that alone. She's like a dog with a bone. Like, she has to know the things. It's the best thing about her. She's, she's passionate, and she is a digger. And I said, she's, gonna, she's not going to leave that alone. I'm excited to see what comes out of that. So the next day, we're living our life. I'm taking care of Glow after her surgery, prepping to get ready to go have baby Benjamin. And I get just the most devastating message ever you can ever get. Um, it's a text message from Kaylee. And she had gone to a normal doctor's appointment. And they had found out that one of her twins had died in utero. Just, just really, um, it must have happened overnight. Because the whole day we were in the hospital, we're feeling both the twins kick and I'm like feeling baby A and feeling baby B. And so she just texted and she said, Cohen is with Jesus. Um, we have to go in and deliver Pierce, the other twin right now. So please pray for us. And, um, you know, we're devastated. We're just devastated and to like hurting for our friends and um, just start praying. And what would happen over the next week and a half was just some of the most sacred and wild days that I've ever experienced in my whole life. Um, you know, walking through like the funeral and memorial service of one twin while one twin is fighting for their life in the NICU while we're massively pregnant, while we have this baby that's also just recovering from surgery. But the reason why I tell you guys this is because something miraculous happened in the middle of this. Um, and truly, I wasn't, I, I wasn't planning on preaching this sermon this weekend, but my friend Kaylee came to see me. And um, when, I, when I see her, we can't help but talk about Cohen because we lived through those days together. And um, we, always, we always just say, like, but the email. And she's like, I know the email. And here's what happened is that night after the surgery, after Glory's surgery, Kaylee went home and she couldn't leave that question alone. How do we know babies go to heaven? And so she emailed our pastor and said, help me understand how we know babies go to heaven. Why do we know this? How do we know this? Prove it to me in scripture. And so the next day, she went to her doctor's appointment. She finds out the devastating news that Cohen has passed, and she has to go straight into surgery. And they deliver Cohen, and they send Pierce to the NICU, and she is holding baby Cohen, who is not alive. And she opens her computer and opens her email, and she has an email from our pastor with all these incredible verses and scriptural proof of like, here's why we believe babies go to heaven. Here's why this, this pastor has no idea the email they're writing. He has no idea what's going to happen in her life. He has no idea why she's going to need this proof. But as she's holding the body of her baby who is now with God, she is like, her mind and her heart are connected with this proof. Like, I know God is good. And here's why I know. And here's why I understand a little bit more about him and about heaven. And I needed that right then. And so... So many crazy things for me happened in that week and a half in that like all of a sudden life got very sacred. It got very sacred, but also it was for me the first time in my adult life or my walk with God where I really started to believe that heaven is, is winning. And it was the first time that I could sit with her and be like, this stinks for us. This is horrible. But Cohen won. Cohen got God. Cohen's with Jesus. Like, he won. And so not only was it the first time that I was able to, like, really start to reframe how I thought about heaven in an eternal and winning and beautiful sense, instead of, like, a sad, achy sense, or in, in combination with a sad, achy sense, but also, you can only imagine that it massively changed the way I mothered 
when I went in to have baby Benjamin the next week and the last baby I had held was one that was with Jesus. It changed everything about the way I approached my kids. It changed, it changed everything about the way that I lived and the way that I moved and the way that I obeyed God because I had this just real life intensive sense that this is quick and this is fleeting and how we live matters. So I tell you all that story, as heavy as it is, because in the midst of it now, you know, 11 years later, um, I can see Kaylee on a random Monday. She just popped into town and we were sitting on the chairs in my living room and she said something about Cohen and, we, and I just smiled because, because now we can smile about it 11 years later and of course she still feels the ache, but she knows he's with God and we can still look at each other and be like, but man, that email, God's good. Like even in the midst of extreme pain, he was doing miraculous things to, to love her, to lead her, to guide her. So today, the passage we're going to read from is in Philippians, just moving on in our series, and we're going to be talking about what we can take with us on this journey to a full life, on this way to a full and abundant life, and we're going to be talking about the courage to live, the courage to live, and, and the verse we're going to be talking about, a lot of you guys might have heard, um, if you grew up in the church, like maybe your youth pastor had it tattooed on his arm, um, but what I'm learning is that it's actually just really wild and mysterious and worth us settling into. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into God's word. Father, we really, really need you. We need your wisdom and your compassion and your help to to even slightly try to understand some of this scripture today, but also we need your spirit and your boldness in our hearts to obey it. We need need the freedom that you give us to, to really maybe ask some hard questions about our life. We need you to poke us and prod us in the best way towards courageously living for you. We want a full life. We want to wring it out for all that it's worth. We want to give you glory. Help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to first read, just, just kind of picking up where we've left off. If, if you haven't heard any of this sermon series or if you're not familiar with the book of Philippians, just, just off the top, some important things to remember. This is Paul writing to an entire church, an entire um, group of people that were new to Jesus, really, like relatively new to Jesus because Jesus was new to everybody at this point, Um, not new to eternity, but news to them. And so he's writing to the entire church of Philippi about what it means to walk with God, essentially. He's still like planting the church. He's still leading them. He's still preaching to them through his letters. And so... um, But what we know about Paul already from from what we've been studying in Philippians is that he's writing it from jail. So it's really important that we always remember that as he's writing about having a full life, he's writing from jail. Not only is he writing from jail, but he's writing after having had suffered a lot. He's suffered a lot. He um, has been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been run out of town. He's been talked about. He's been slandered. He's been just really mistreated by the church, but he doesn't care. He just still loves them. Like he's still in prison like, oh, I love you guys. I just want to talk to you about God. I love God and I'm experiencing the fullness of God and I want you to as well. So when we read these words, it's important that we remember that. And we've heard from Paul about his vision for these people and his vision for his life that God's given him. And we've heard about just the persistent prayer and love that he has for them, how he just fights for them in prayer and that leads to his affection for them. And he just wants good for them. And now he's kind of talking about some of the hardships that he's gone through And that's where we we pick up with this. So I'm starting around verse 15, I think. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. 
And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. We see this is true historically. We hear incredible stories of how Paul was leading the jailers to Jesus. So they're just meeting God left and right because Paul has this relentless relentless belief that God's vision for his life is true, that he's like, if God sent me here, it's on purpose and I'm gonna squeeze it out for all that it's worth. If I've gone through something hard, it's gonna be for God. So moving on, he says, it's true. Some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Here's Paul talking about other ministers of the gospel who are doing it in an icky way. Doing it in an icky way. Good word for all of us if you ever feel weird church rivalry or any kind of rivalry with other Christians. Like Paul's like, does it really matter? People are meeting Jesus. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm happy. I'm good. Okay, good, Paul. Good to know. So then he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So we've got two very definite things on the table that we've got to talk about today. We've got eternity. We've got the question of eternity. And we've got the question of destiny. The question of eternity and the question of destiny, these are the two things that Paul's talking about, living and dying. So the question of eternity, this is what you may have heard since you were little. It may be what sent you away from the church when you were little. I don't know. The question is, where will you go when you die? Paul says, for me to die is gain. I get God. The question of eternity is is finite. It's there. It's on the table. It's coming for all of us. They say the only thing we can be sure of in life is that you'll die and pay taxes. Some of y'all don't pay taxes yet, but the the truth is for sure at some point, like we are all going to die. It's on the table. So there's a very finite and definite question that at some point we all have to ask, and that is what do we think happens after we die? What do we hope happens after we die? What do we believe is gonna happen after we die? Where do we think we'll go after we'll die? And I'm telling you that Paul goes with Jesus. He's like, I think it's God, I'm all in. And I think I win. So this one, matters, right? Like this is what we talk about in church. This matters. This matters. I don't want to underplay this at all. I don't want to assume that everyone in this room has answered the question, do you know where you'll go when you die? This is a really important question. Do you want to, do you know where you, where you'll go when you die? Do you think about it? Have you considered it? What do you bet on? What do you place your life on? It's an important question. It's for sure one we've all got to answer, but I think what helps for us first, even before we even go back and like answer it the way we always have, I think it really helps for us to go back and look at death, the idea of death, what it is, and ask ourselves like, what does God's word say about it versus what does the world say about it? And maybe how has that crept in to what we believe about death. So here's some things, again, for me that I think started to shift when I walked through this this really painful death with watching sweet baby Cohen die. The world says that to die means to end, that everything's over. And for those of us who are in Christ, we believe like it's, it's just the beginning. That when you think about if, if all of our lives were a long stretch of time, if they were all like a long, I don't know, line, that like 
earth is just this tiny speck, and then all of eternity is here. That we might live 30 or 60 or 90 or 105 years here in this, in this place, but that all of eternity is going to be something else. And so for those of us who believe in Jesus, believe that by grace, through faith, having a relationship with him means that we spend eternity with God, then death is actually the beginning. It's actually the beginning, which is actually really good news. The world says that when you die, you lose all you've built. That like maybe um, the, the goal is to get as much as you can while you're here, get as many people, get as much money, get as much comfort, get as many experiences as you can here on earth because when it's over, it's over. And heaven in, in the scope of the word and in God's view is very different. Here's what Hebrews 13 says. It says, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. We are looking for the home that is to come. The phrase that I use a lot in my own mind and in my own life to help me understand heaven is I constantly tell myself, please do not put up curtains in a house that's burning down. Like this is going This is fading. This is going away. So I don't want to spend all my energy, I don't want to spend all my time trying to make this very tidy and nice when what's coming is what's actually good. Where we're going is enduring. Where we're going is the city. Where we're going is home. Where we're going is family. Um, if, if you've ever noticed, a cool thing that churches do right now is, it's, it is cool, it's so fun, is that they'll hold signs outside that say, welcome home. Anybody ever seen those? Um, just if you've never heard your pastor talk about it, I always, I'm like, let's get those cool welcome home signs. Um, and Nick, your pastor says, no, because this isn't home. I want to be really clear with people about that. Church isn't home. It's great. It's incredible. Find a family. Find a local body that you can give to and that they can give to you and that you can grow with. But don't be confused because this is not the best of it. We are going home. The world says, I think this is the funniest one, and I do it all the time, so just if you ever do this, don't feel bad. But the world says that like, when we get to heaven, we're gonna be like, I'm gonna ask God about a thing or two. Anybody ever say that? Like, I'm gonna ask him, like, why do, you know, why are squirrels squirrels? Um, <laughs> it's real. Like, sometimes we were like, I wanna know why injustice happens. That's real, that's fair. Like, I'm gonna get to heaven, and I'm gonna just get him to like, could just tell me why all those little things went down like that. You know what I'm saying? But here's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall now fully, I, know, I shall know fully as I am fully known. And so what the truth of heaven says, my words do not do it justice, please pay attention. My words do not do it justice. But when we get to heaven, we are going to be fully known and fully loved by the God who created the universe. And what's more, not only are we gonna be fully known and fully loved and fully seen, we're going to fully see him. I don't think we're going to be like, so what about squirrels though? Like, what about that really one bad Tuesday in 2002? Like, where were you then? I think we're going to be like, oh my gosh, the word says we're just, we're just going to be overwhelmed with our desire to worship him because we're going to really see him. He's that good. Don't picture yourself bored using a harp in heaven. We're talking about the best thing that ever happened. You're not going to be bored. You're not going to wonder if you can play golf. You're not going to say like, are there tacos in heaven? Trust me, he's better. I don't know. There might be tacos. I don't know. Don't believe anybody if they say they do know. I know it's going to be good. I know we're going to know God. We're going to see him fully. And we're going to be fully seen and not have shame and we're not gonna have pain. I know that we don't just get a person 
We get the person of Jesus. We get him. We get all of him. That's what Paul says when he means to die is to gain. I get God. Like take the earth, take the riches, take whatever. I get God. We don't just get the person though. We also get the place that is being prepared for us. John 14 says, don't let your heart be troubled. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. That's what Jesus says. And then his disciples says, what if we don't know the way? And he says, I am the way. It's gonna be good. I don't want to spend too much time, but I do want to say, like, Paul says to die is to gain. And the reason why this sermon is not called a courage to die, because I don't know that it takes all that much courage to die. Like, we are going to die. It's going to happen. And whether you go out like a hero, whether you go out like a fraud, whether you go out broke, whether you go out being known by a lot of humans or not, whether you go out when you're 20 or whether when you're 102, if you know God, you win. You get God and you get heaven. And I don't know that it takes a whole lot of courage, but I know that it is gonna bring up a whole lot of gratitude and worship enough to fill the rest of our days, the rest of eternity. It's important, it's important to ask the question, what do, you think about, what do you think about death? Where do you think you think you're going? But I think the variable that's on the table for most of us is how are we going to live in light of that news? We need courage to live for Jesus. I want to go back to Philippians 1, the verse 20, the first one we read, verses 20 through 21. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let's ask the question, what does the world say about living? If we're asking the question, like, what is, what is God's word? What does our father say? What does the kingdom say about what it means to live for Christ? What does the world say about living? Um, the world would say, I would say, like, find your path, right? You got to find your path. You got to find your way in this place. Enjoy yourself. Like, you're only here for a short time. Might as well have fun. Build your own kingdom. Build a world that makes you feel good, that exalts you, that makes other people like you. Get what you want. Get what you think you need. And the thing is, we can do that. Even those of us who are in Christ, right? Like, if you know Jesus, here's what I believe about the gospel. If you know Jesus, if you've done that miraculous, mysterious thing where we look at God and say, like, I want in, I believe, I'm in. You get God. You get heaven. That question is answered. It's done for the rest of your life. So if you say that, if you mean that, um, I don't know, when you're eight or when you're 80, like you get God, you get God for eternity. But then there's this variable of how we'll live. And we've been given like a lot of freedom to choose how we want to live. We can build our own life. We can build a life of comfort. We can build um, our own kingdom that feels really good. I just don't know if we'll like it that much. That's the realest thing I can say. Hear from people all the time who get everything they ever wanted and still feel empty. You 
You hear from people all the time who like build the career or get the family or get the money and then still just ache for God in some way because I think even here on earth, we were just meant for more. We were just meant to live for Christ. I want to skip now to a few verses ahead, verse 27. And Paul says something interesting that we actually hear him say a few other times in Scripture. So right here at the beginning, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what's interesting about that word worthy is that it's only used a few other times. The Greek word for worthy, this specific word, is only used a few other times in Scripture in the New Testament. Um, And it's always Paul who says it. And he says it in a few of his letters. And what's interesting is he says it in different ways every time. So sometimes he says, live a life worthy of the gospel. This is what he says in Philippians. Other times he says, live a life worthy of the calling that God's given you. Sometimes he says, live a life worthy of the kingdom. Sometimes he says, live a life worthy of the Father. So walk with me on this. If we're asking the question, what does it look like to have the courage to live for Christ? Paul on the back end is saying like, make sure, check your life to make sure it's worthy of the gospel. So what's really, really wildly important about this word is that we break it down and we pause and say like, what does worthy mean? What is he saying? Because here's what I think. I think a lot of believers like read this quickly and skip over it. And I've done this in the past specifically about this verse and here like, you gotta earn it. You gotta earn it. Make sure, you, make sure you live a life worthy. Make sure you live a life worthy so you can get into heaven. But everything that we know to be true about the gospel flips that on its head. So even just this word, the gospel of Christ, it's so interesting that he says it in different ways. But here in Philippians, he says, worthy of the gospel. So I became a believer when I was 15, when I was 25, really shortly after that whole um, painful season and walking through Cohen's death, Nick, my husband and pastor at the time had to sit me down and said, he said, I don't think you super understand what the gospel means. You say it a lot, but I don't know if you know what it means. And I was like, I think I do. Like, I think I do. And he was like, I don't know that you do. Let me just, let's just unpack it. And he's like, I'm learning a lot about it too. And it turned out I really did not know what it means. Um, But if you, if no one's ever said this, this clearly for you, it's what helps me. I need things really clear and simple that the gospel means the bad news is that you are not enough. And the good news is that Jesus is. And so when we look at this verse that says, live a life worthy of the gospel, here's what you gotta catch. First and foremost, really important. The gift has already been given to you. The gospel, the good news that you are not enough, but God loves you anyhow and has made a way for you has already been extended. So what this verse is not saying is live good enough so you can get into heaven. This verse is saying you've already been given the good news. You've already been given the gospel. You've already been given the free pass to be in the best family ever. You've already been given eternity. You've already been given the king. You've already been given the savior. You've already been given the friend. But hey, just remember you've been given it and, and live worthy of it. You've already been handed it to it. Women, I'm gonna tell you what this is like. I hope some of you know what I'm talking about. NLE, anybody know what NLE is? Franny, I'm really counting on you for this one. NLE, new legging energy. Anybody know about new legging energy? Becca knows new legging energy. Here's what new legging energy is. It's when you get new leggings. So when you get new yoga pants and they are fresh to death and they're the cutest things you've ever seen, You get new leggings, somebody gives them to you, that's the best. New legging energy that's free is even better. You get new leggings and you go to workout class like you are the best thing that ever happened. Like you wanna put the instructor to shame because you have on the best new leggings. You've been handed this gift that all of a sudden you're like, I gotta live up to it. I gotta live up to these new leggings. Watch me. I was explaining new legging energy to Nick and I was like, what's the, what's the correlation for guys? He was like, there's not one. <laughs> he was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, listen, I'm just telling you, some of y'all need to go get some new leggings because you buy them and they're fresh and they're fine and they're good and they're bright and you cannot go to the back of the class and do like half the reps. You gotta go and bring your full self to the table because you're wearing your new leggings. Your new leggings. You know what I'm saying? I want you to go with me on the gospel, right? (laughs) You have been given 
without having to earn it. Wholeness, healing, peace, access to God, eternal life, joy, family, hope, gifts. You've been given all that. It's a free gift from God. Do not let anyone else tell you otherwise. You cannot earn it and you cannot lose it. But you've been given it. You've been given the fantastic pair of golden leggings that make you look like you are the best thing that ever happened because God said so. How are you going to move in relation to that? So here's the question. How do we find, how do we find the courage to live for Jesus? How do we find the courage? How do we muster it up? How do we find the courage to live for Christ? How do we become like Paul and say, to live is Christ. That's all I want to do. I want to have the courage to live like he's all that matters. Here's what I honestly think. Here's step one. I think we obsess over what we've been given. So here's what I think is what's interesting about Paul saying it in different ways. Sometimes he says, live a life worthy of the gospel. Live a life worthy of the calling. Live a life worthy of the Father. Live a life worthy of the kingdom. Here's what I think is interesting about him saying it in, different, in so many different ways. I think Paul is trying to say over and over again, do you know what you've been given? You've been given the gospel. You've been given the good news that you're not enough and he is. You've been given a father. Once you weren't loved, once you weren't a people, once you were an orphan, and now you have a father. You have a father and a family. Live a life worthy of the kingdom. Guess what? You get a whole people here on earth, and you get a whole city in heaven waiting for you. You get an upside-down way of doing things that is right and good and holy and just. Live a life worthy of the calling, because we've been given individual callings in the name of Jesus. We haven't just been purchased into the family of God. We've been given roles not because he needs us to do work, but because he knows that we, we do better when we have purpose and that we want to experience the thrill of adventure. I think Paul says it over and over again. He never says, earn your calling. He never says, earn the gospel. He never says, earn your way to the Father. He just says, like, know that you've got it and live a life worthy of it. So that's step one. How do we find the courage to live for Jesus? Just know what you've been given. Get in God's word. Ask the questions like, what is the gospel? Do I understand what that means? What is the kingdom? Do I understand what that means? Do I know what it means that I have a father? Do I know what it means that I have a calling? And the, this crazy thing happens. The more that we think on the goodness of God, the more that we learn about the goodness of God and the power of God at work in our lives, we want to live worthy of it. We just want to respond. We're just compelled to live up to who he said we are. We're compelled to agree with it. We're not earning our way. We're not trying to get better. We're not trying to become better versions of ourselves. We're just trying to agree with who he's already said we are. How do we find the courage to live for Christ? We just learn more about him. It's really simple. Number two, I think we have the courage to ask the hard questions. I think if we want to learn from Paul, if the best thing I could do for you guys is give you this gift that every time you hear the phrase, to live as Christ, to die as gain, I'm wondering, did anybody's youth pastor have that tattoo in high school or was that just me? But I'm the kind of person that words really matter to me. And so sentences like that confuse me. To live is Christ. That's like to me saying to live is bananas. I don't super, it's like a weird sentence structure that doesn't make as much sense to me and I need words to make sense. So the best thing I could hand you is that if you hear that phrase again, when you read that scripture, ask yourself, do I believe that? The best gift I can give you is to ask you the hard question. To die is gain. Do you agree? At the very cellular level, the way we speak, people of God get this messed up. Because we forget to talk about death and specifically the death of those who know Jesus with the hope that it entails. Is dying still sad? Yes, it's still devastating. It's devastating for those of us who are left on earth. But let me tell you this so we are clear, that the minute I'm in heaven, I want y'all to be glad. Like, I get God. Uh, we have a friend, we have another friend who... Um, 
our dear friend Brooke, who um, is became friends of a friend. She's really close with my sister, and um, Brooke has been walking through cancer uh, in and out of like various stages, in and out of remission for years. She's just been battling. She's been fighting, and she has been fighting with hope, like fighting with hope and vigor. She has two small kids, and she's just been fighting. She's been writing Bible studies. She's been hosting Bible studies. She's been just preaching it up, and then a few years ago, in the middle of her fight with cancer, her husband died suddenly. He was out biking and got hit by a car, and he died. You're like, come on. Like, come on. Brooke is out here fighting for her life, and her husband just died, and still she lived through that and fought with just crazy hope, just crazy hope, and led her kids through that just with vigor and joy and, and re- reality of like, this is devastating. But she kept preaching. She kept leading Bible study. She kept, she just preaches online and she would travel to teach when she was well enough. And two Sundays ago on Super Bowl Sunday, my sister texted my mom and I and said, Brooke's with Jesus. She died today. She lost her fight to cancer. And so, um, you know, I just immediately like stopped and told Nick, I was like, babe, Brooke's with God. And he's like, oh, man, her kids, let's pray right now for her kids. My mom's just been praying for her kids. Like, man. Um, And so I kind of like prepared my heart because my sister's close with her and had just been with her a few months ago and kind of prepared my heart to go see my sister and just um, like, you know, cheer her up or be there for her if she needed to talk about it. And uh, she walked in and she was like, you know, honestly, she said, this is the first time I'm just really jealous. This Brooks with God. She was like, I'm sad. I'm sad for her kids, but I do have some wild hope that God's got them. She's like, my friend's with Jesus, and I really want to be with Jesus. Like, yeah, me too. I think the best thing we can do is ask hard questions like, do you really think you win when you die? And if you do, if you believe that you've been handed not just eternal life, but life here on earth. Maybe we could step out and begin to ask the hard questions amongst ourselves and with one another. What does it mean to live for Christ? And am I doing it? We're gonna die. The, that, that variable's done. Like, it's finished. <laughs> it's happening at some point. But I think that there's a potential for a lot of us to not live for Christ, even if we know him, because we're just maintaining. We're just holding steady. We're just getting stuck in the mud of like monotony, or we just get busy building our own kingdoms. Or we, we know just enough the things to say about God that we forget to just have the courage to to just really obey him. So I think number one, we'll think about what we've been given. Number two, I think we'll have the courage to ask hard questions. I think probably the wildest thing you could do this week is maybe call up or text or go to dinner with somebody who's here today and say like, what do you think about dying and what do you think about living? Let's talk. I dare you. And then lastly, if you um, are asking the question, what does it mean to live for Christ? What does it mean to courageously live for Christ? I want to remind you, if you don't know, about the Way of the Bright. So the Way of the Bright is a sermon series that we went through um, last fall. And it is not the definitive list of like, these are all the things you do if you want to follow God. But it was, we believe, inspired by God for us, for this season, for this church, for this family. If we're asking the question, how do we live for God? How do we shine bright? How do we shine the light of Jesus? We went through this sermon series called The Way of the Bright intentionally just to, just to give our family, our church family, some rhythms and some markers of health. So for us, those things are how we use our words, how we use our time, how we rest, how we practice generosity, how we experience power and vulnerability, how we participate in hospitality and community, and how we express our creativity. And so for us, again, that's not the definitive list, but it's been just a really healthy and whole marker, not only for us to look at our life in Christ and say like, what it, what, how's it going? Um, but it's also how you become an owner here at Bright City by agreeing to those saying like, I wanna live the way of the bright. 
that's all that we ask to be an owner here. We don't need like a vial of blood or your social security number. We just ask that you would, that you would look at those, those rhythms of life and say like, I'm in, I wanna do those. Um, and so I just wanna hand you that. If you haven't listened to those sermon series, they are on every, um, thank God for Bill Jarbo. They're on every podcast um, place you could ever go and look. And we also have thewayofthebright.com where you can access all the sermons and all the information. Um, and I just wanna hand that to you as a tool that if you're asking that hard question, like how do I live for Christ? How do I courageously live for Christ? That's a really healthy path to kind of look into and, and do some self-evaluation. I told y'all I was with Kaylee this week. And um, again, I wasn't planning on preaching this sermon. I'd got it up Monday morning and Nick and I are both just reading Philippians. And I just kept getting stuck on those words in general. And I had ended up like typing out a bunch of stuff that morning and just, just praying through Philippians. And then that afternoon, Kaylee happened to be passing through town and she sat on the gray chairs in my living room and we were just talking about Cohen and talking about life, but also Kaylee is a pastor's wife and she's a lot like me and our lives are really similar. And I just had one of those vulnerable moments with her. I was like, girl, how are we going to keep going? Like, this is a lot. I'm struggling sometimes. I was like, I'm tired. And like, I was like, what do you do? What do you do when you're just like a little over it? Like everything's hard and having a hard time moving forward. how do you keep going when life just feels heavy? And I was genuinely asking like a friend to a friend, what do you do? Because you're a lot like me and I trust you. And she was like, I just think about Cohen. She said, I just think about him. He's worshiping God right now. She was like, I'm gonna be there with him. She said, I just, she said, I might be crazy. And we might have like made all this up. We might be just spending our whole life on Jesus and find out that that wasn't the right way. And she was like, but I, I would just much rather get to heaven and be like, I gave it all that I had. I asked hard questions of myself and I pressed in when I didn't want to. And I, I stopped withholding when I wanted to keep this one part of my life for me instead of giving it to God. And she was like, I just think about Cohen. And like, she was like, I, I know that I know that I'm gonna get to heaven and I get, I'm gonna get in. She was like, I also just wanna get to heaven and make Cohen proud and be like, I did it. I came after you, I kept fighting. I lived for Christ. It took courage. It took pressing in. It took showing up again. It took trying again. It took asking hard questions. It took getting still, but I did it. And I was like, okay, well, I'll do it for going too. <laughs> I said, if you're in, I'm in. Let's keep going. So I have a lot more questions for you guys today than I have answers. What does it look to live for Christ? I don't know. Let's find out together. It's going to look different for you than it looks for me but I want us all to have the courage to do it together. And I want us to be people that can ask hard questions about where we're definitely gonna be for eternity as well. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you that you come toward us with the gospel, with the good news, with a smile on your face. I thank you that you come toward us, not with judgment or frustration, but with love and compassion and a desire for us to experience the fullness of you, for us to experience a full life, not just in eternity, but here on earth. Would you help us to ask hard questions? Holy Spirit, would you be gentle and complete as we respond to you today? Would you help us to not only say true things to you, say true things to ourselves, and then say true things in community about what it looks like to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ooh, such a good word. Such a good message. And I love this time of this service. We call this response time at Bright City. If you've not been on this before, I'm going to take a minute to tell you what that means. Response means this is when we, like, take a minute to say, God, I think you were saying this to me in the message, for me personally, and this is what I'm going to do about it. Because we could just hear a message and then walk out and not be changed. 
and we wasted an hour, right? But we don't want to waste an hour. We don't want to waste our lives. So when I was hearing Jess speak this morning, it reminded me a funny little story. This weekend, we were away with Jess and Nick, and the place we were at had a hot tub and a cold plunge. It was the women were on one side, the men were on the other. And we had already heard from the guys that they both did the cold plunge, which is like 45, 50 degree water. You're supposed to go in and after you go in the hot tub for two minutes. Has anybody ever done the cold plunge? Yeah, there's a few brave people out there, my husband and Nick included. So Jess and I were on the women's side and she said, I don't think I can do this. I mean, I can, but I don't want to. She kind of inched down and it came back out. I'm calling you out. Because I did the same thing. I inched down in it and came out. Well, later that night, I was talking to Gibson about it on the way back. And he said, but you went in the, in the cold pool at Garden City in November to baptize women. And it was 40 degrees. I said, oh, yeah, I'll cold plunge for Jesus. I will cold plunge for Jesus any day. So it just made me think about what are you cold plunging for? What are you, what are you going for for eternity? for your destiny, not just for what it feels like at the gym, you know, but what are you going to do that matters? And I'm telling you, if you want to be baptized today in the cold ocean, I'll definitely baptize you. I know Jess and Nick would too. If you want to receive Christ for the first time, maybe you've never said that prayer and you're just like, we had somebody a few weeks ago who said, I'm all in. I bought a Bible. I'm doing Jesus. And that's all it takes. It's not hard. All you got to do is say, I want it. If you can do it, you can do it in your seats where you're at. You can do it. You can pray that prayer with somebody in the back during response time. And you're in. You can order a Bible. If you don't have the money to get a Bible, let me know. I'll get you a Bible. Everybody needs a Bible to read the book of John, to read the book of Luke, to hear the story about Jesus in their words and then transfer it to your life. Maybe this is the time you just want to worship. You're already all in. But you're like, I need to revisit the way of the bright. I'm going to go back to that website, to the way of the bright, and see how I need to live in a cold plunge manner for Jesus. And maybe you just need to worship, thank him for who he is, and for the life you've been given, and for all those gifts that Jess reminded us are ours, just for the taking. And we'll give generously, and we'll worship him. So join me in response time, and let's, let's jump in.